Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. I don't know what we should call this episode. We wanted to talk about stuff, and the corollary of stuff is minimalism. And if the episode title is Stuff and Minimalism, that's not what? What? Minimal. Minimal. Goodbye. <laughs> we we could do 30 minutes of silence. That would be the ultimate minimalism, but why would people listen to that? It would be making our point that actually too much minimalism may not be a good thing, but excess is also not a good thing. So I'm going to try to speak today a little but not too little, nor too much. Okay. Stuff, lots of stuff, not too much stuff. I see behind you, you have lots of stuff. You're in your, I guess, your sort of home office study Zen master room, and you've got hundreds of books and statues and tchotchkes. It's a complete misunderstanding to think that most Zen Buddhists have very little. They may personally have very little, maybe just their robes or their bowl. But the temple, have you ever been to a Buddhist temple? It's vibrant, colorful. There are hundreds of statues, unknown dozens of rooms. There are hallways and incense burners and bells and whistles. They're filled with stuff because we need stuff to live. We can't be too minimalist or nothing happens. Yet every time we see a photo of monks sitting in a zendo, in a, a Japanese temple, it's always that minimalist room with what tatamis and benches and walls and nothing else. It's because they never show the closets, right. which are filled with old trumpets and bowling balls and all the the other things that people need to live. I don't think there are bowling balls, because I don't think most monks bowl. You never bowl. know. But you never know. I had, I had a, a, my great teacher, uh, Azuma Roshi, when I went into his room, it was filled with books, and he had things in drawers, and he had a little TV that he would keep covered with a cloth as if it wasn't there. <laughs> but as soon as everyone was out of the room, he was watching the baseball game. I know it. You know the ultimate minimal? It's called the Big Bang. Yes. Okay. The universe was a singularity. But from that time, what developed? Complexity. We need complexity. It's called life. Life is a form of emergent complexity. I have nothing against some complexity. 
The question is how much. The question is when it takes over your life. And so we got into this discussion because on the Treely Forum, someone was talking about tiny homes mm -hmm. and the idea of people downsizing and using fewer resources and less space. And it's an interesting idea, but if you have a tiny home, but it's filled with all the same stuff you had in a bigger home, that's not going to be very comfortable. You sent me a link um, that I'll put in the show notes, a peek inside Tokyo apartments. And looking at some of those apartments, all the stuff in them, there's one that is what you would call Scandi minimalist, right, in, in design, but all the others are full of stuff. And if anyone lives in a small apartment, even if they have a small amount of stuff, it's going to be all around them. I lived in such a Tokyo apartment for about 15 years, and it was wonderful when I was by myself. The uh, rooms were about, I don't know, uh, four meters by four meters, something like that. My bedroom, which had a futon, also was my office and my living room. And the kitchen and the bathroom were separated by a small partition. It was wonderful when I was by myself. Then my wife came. And, well, it only had one closet, so somehow she took the closet and everything of mine was reduced to a shoebox. <laughs> but then the child came. Oh, the child. Yes. And that changed everything. Suddenly, we had to move to a place with trees and land because we need space. But you know, my neighbor, a husband and wife and two teenage boys in the same size apartment, which I'm telling when I say a Japanese apartment, I'm saying it had two rooms, each the size of the average American's bathroom. Yeah. And they had a family of four in there. Yeah. Okay. And you didn't hear fighting. You did. I mean, you, you would think that people under pressure like that to be in an apartment, it would be tense, but they, they live. There are millions of people in Japan who live like that. And you can, if you have the right mental attitude. That's what it comes down to. You can have stuff all around. You can have a limited space and be happy. Or you can have lots of space and little stuff and be unhappy. You know, it's uh, my joke about my dear wife, who I love dearly. But I, I told you we had one closet in the apartment. And she complained that there was no closet space. So we moved out into the country, into a house that literally is a farmhouse that has a barn, and it has its own storehouse, and it has a little garage with a second floor. And she still complains there's no closet space. <laughs> no, that's, don't let her hear this podcast. So. Okay. I, actually, I live in a farmhouse, too, made around 1800. It's the biggest house I've ever lived in. But British houses, bedrooms are often probably the size of Japanese bedrooms. So while the house has six bedrooms, two of them are pretty much the size of bedrooms for babies or toddlers. There's not much room in them. You don't need much room. Well, what I like is since I work at home, like you, I have a dedicated office space that has enough room that I can actually pace from one corner to another a little bit. Um, in, in my previous working life, my office space was relatively small. So for me, this is both a professional space and a home space. And I, I use that excuse to be in this massive house, which actually is quite full, even though we don't have that much stuff. I don't know the minimal amount of space that a human being needs to be healthy. I, I think that uh, if you were in some kind of trance, you could be in like a, a, a little box and you wouldn't notice. But 
I think a conscious, awake human being needs room to move and to go outside. So we need some space. And when you increase the residence of a house, I think the space we need increases exponentially. So uh, I think that monks, you know, in the monastery, traditionally would live on one tatami mat. And I could look up the exact definitions of it, the, the exact dimensions of a tatami mat, but I think it was about a meter long by, what, about two and a half meters the other dimension. It's about six feet by three feet, so two meters by one. I used to have you, a couple. You still you still speak American there with your feet there. I was trying to be. Well, uh, we have a lot of American listeners. I, I'm, I'm metric, but I wanted to give the translation. So they would sit there, their zazen, they would eat their meals there, and they would sleep there. One reason is because people literally were smaller <laughs> back in the day. Your feet didn't <laughs> stick over out into the hallway. Uh, but that was their home, and they had only their robes and their bowl. But it's kind of a misunderstanding, because they didn't spend their life there. They might theoretically spend a few days just in that space during a retreat, except for going to the bathroom, I guess. But other times, people need room to move. Human beings cannot be too minimalist. We need some complexity, and it's fine. Even the Buddha didn't just write a two-word sutra. He said, here's the truth, the end. No, he wrote a lot. He preached. We are complex beings. There are thousands of pages of sutras. Talk about a lack of minimalism. Talk about an exaggeration of just too much stuff. You look at all the early sutras, they just, you pile them up and they just go on and on and on. And no one can actually read and understand all of those in a lifetime. You're right. Behind me, people can't see, but there's a bookshelf filled with, I don't know, a few hundred books, all about Zen, telling me that words are not important and I should value silence. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've come to think in life that there are two luxuries, space and time. Space in having a comfortable space to live in, but also a space outside. Hmm a garden, or if you live in the country, space to walk. Because I grew up in a city, and I've lived in cities, you know, half my life. And while it's interesting, because you have all the activity, it's, it's, it compresses you. Um, space, in the sense of having ceilings that are a little bit higher than the normal. I find that, as, as someone who's six feet tall, and has to duck a little bit when I go through some of the doors in this house, I'm very happy it has tall ceilings, because they're more comfortable. And the other luxury is time, to have the time to do things, to not be rushed, to be able to do things completely with attention instead of hurrying to get things done. There's a show called, I think, Tiny Houses, which is on Netflix, which is already on my TV that has many more channels and complexity than I ever can watch. You know, <laughs> I, I don't need all that. But the Tiny House Show, which, by the way, if you watch the credits at the end, took several thousand people to make the simple show about simplicity. And they build these yeah. tiny houses to try to stuff into the little space as much modern luxury as they can. So one guy said, I'm a musician. I need a grand piano. So they put in a grand piano, but they had to have the kids sleep under the piano. You know, it's think about it. <laughs> the space under a piano. What do you use it for? Put your kids under there. Makes perfect yeah, sense. Sure, it why not? It makes perfect sense. Yeah. But real minimalism 
the image was. You needed a grass hut, and that's it. But even Dogen, the great Soto master, even Thoreau with Walden, they never actually walked the walk and talked the talk about getting away. They'd get away for a couple of days, then get bored stiff, and they head back. Well, Thoreau did spend more than a couple of days at a time. I, I'm a longtime Thoreauvian. Um, I've been very moved by Thoreau's writing. But you have to know that while Thoreau built his little hut by Walden Pond, he was also about a mile from Concord, and he took his laundry back to have his mother do it for him. No, no, no. It's now well known that he was spending a lot of time on his phone, and uh, he, you know, he was <laughs> Skyping with people. It is well known that the whole thing, that Thoreau was actually not by himself. But think about it, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, everybody lived simply because there was no choice. You know, what was your excitement? Light a candle, read a book, the end of your day. You know, you didn't have a complicated life. I was hearing today that our ancestors' ancestors for tens of thousands of years lived in a cave made the occasional handprint on the wall or a picture of a, a buffalo. And that was it. Next generation, generations after that, someone decides, okay, let's put another buffalo on the wall. That was the big excitement. <laughs> they didn't leave the cave. They didn't invent anything. They didn't own anything. They would kill uh, the food they needed to live, have sex, have kids, die. Next generation. For tens of thousands of years, how long were human beings like that before someone said, Oh, we've invented fire. Now we need computers. It was <laughs> one thing, and then we're off to the races. Fair point, fair point. Um, I, I think the, the sort of modern minimalist movement is this, you see this in a lot of things. There's this sort of fake nostalgia for the way things were. But let's just mention Thoreau. Thoreau's brother died because he got tetanus got cut on the farm. If you want to live the way things were without antibiotics and good medical treatment, uh, the life you live is not going to be what you expect. So this sort of tinge of nostalgia of going backwards and doing things simply, yes, it's not impossible, but you still need running water and electricity if you want to live. Now, don't go to the other extreme of having too much. And we, we've spoken about this almost every time we meet. Don't be so attached to things that it's unhealthy. You know, that's the, that's the point. It is okay to have what you need. It's even fine to have some beautiful things that you enjoy, but don't have too much. Now, this is where I'm a, a critic of that Maria Kondo. Yes, the one who... Other Netflix. Yes, the one who wrote that book about um, decluttering. As I like to say, you can't spell Kondo without con. It wasn't that she was, there was anything wrong with disposing of things, but, uh, you know, uh, we dispose of things and they go into a dump. That's also wasteful. Yeah. But then just to buy new things to replace those things, that's not good either. If you're going to simplify, simplify. Don't simplify too much. Don't have more than you need, but keep your life simple. And if you lose something, be you know, willing to lose. I like to say that I have this beautiful house that I love. It's a wooden house. And if it burned down one day, I, I really feel this is the real Zen thing I would do because I'm a Zen guy. Uh, of course, I hope my kids and my wife 
get out of the house. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I am a little attached to them. All right. I'm talking about the house. It's okay. Start again. Dust it off. And uh, I live in that storehouse I mentioned. <laughs> it's okay. I, I just want to mention the Marie Kondo con. Um, after this thing got popular, she set up a website where she's selling tchotchkes. And the first thing in the wellness section is unconditional love, tuning fork, and rose quartz crystal, $75. I need one. <laughs> oh, I need one. Where do I get that? Organic cotton meditation floor cushion, $169. The white wolf candle, a candle, $86. Has anybody looked into what she spends her money on? I mean, she, she, apparently she's doing very yeah, well. It's, it's an industry. I, I, so talking about accumulating stuff, I have an anecdote. I lived um, outside of Paris for several years in the 1980s, and we had a neighbor um, who there were smells coming from under the door of the apartment. And this was a long process. We had to go to the town hall and the hygiene to try and get this sorted out. And he wouldn't let them in. And finally, it was really bad. And I called up the town hall and the person said, look, call the fire department. Tell them there's a smell. It's really bad. And you're worried about the guy inside, right? So they came. This was on the sixth floor of one of these old um, Parisian style buildings, and they huffed up the stairs with oxygen tanks on the back and an oxygen mask to be prepared for everything. They had these big axes. They knocked on the door. No one answered. So they took an axe and they broke the door down. They found stuff on the floor about one hmm. meter high. This guy had been accumulating trash, everything from newspapers to food trash to empty bottles. The next day, the town hall came with a truck, and it was like 30 cubic meters of trash they pulled out of this small apartment. And obviously, this is the, like the extreme, extreme. Well, again, on Netflix, <laughs> I think there's there's a whole show about these people. <laughs> what, what, what is the name? Hoarders. Of, uh, hoarders, that, uh, right? Uh, unfortunate syndrome that people... Hoarders. There's a show <laughs> called Hoarders on one of my 500 channels. <laughs> Did you know that? I, I've heard of it. I don't watch those things, but yes. That that's the extreme, isn't it? That people are buying things just to own them. And I will admit there are a couple of things I buy like that. There's books that I buy just to own them. And my excuse is, well, one day I'm going to retire and I'll have time to read all these books. And I do read a lot now, but I'm kind of stocking up for that period when I don't want to be spending more money. But that's an excuse, and I know it. I, I don't hoard anything else. Um, but I understand that urge to want to own something. You see this with collectors, but also people who are just obsessed by certain types oh, of yes. things. By the way, by the way, let's let's take a moment to to bow to that man who lived in the apartment and everyone who suffers from that, because that's actually a, an obsessive compulsive is, disorder, yeah. I think, and they are suffering. Yeah. So let's uh, we, let's not take it as a as a joke at no, all. No, not at all. But I know that I came to Japan. Like you probably came to England. I came with two suitcases and somehow it expanded because we tend to buy five things and throw throw away a few and then we buy five things more. And before we know it, we just have more stuff than we need. And uh, this is why our planet is uh, becoming, you know, we're running out of resources and our oceans are filled with plastic because of this and we have to get over it. This is for sure. There's an expression, buy cheap buy twice. 
And when we're young, we don't want to spend a lot for the things that we use, maybe furniture, kitchen things, stuff like that. But in the past 20 years or so, I've realized, particularly in the kitchen, I really like cooking. Um, I bought kitchen equipment that will last for a lifetime, really good stainless steel pots and pans, really good utensils that previously I'd, I'd had the cheap stuff. And I think it's normal that people, partly because they don't have enough money to buy better stuff, partly because they don't know what to buy, you'll have that first period where you buy cheap and then if you're really into something, you'll find the good stuff that's not ridiculously expensive, but that will last. No, that's true. That's true. And I, I have to uh, say that my big uh, purchases are mostly clothes, but I haven't bought clothes in quite a while. And this drives my wife crazy because I, I'm going to be more intimate with our listeners than probably they want me to be. But uh, I, I'm wearing underwear I bought 12 years ago. <laughs> and when it gets down and falling around my knees, then that's the end. But until that point, why do I, it's perfectly good, you know. So I, I understand buy something that's going to last and buy what you need. And when you go into a store, ask yourself, do I really need this? Does it? Okay, I'm going to quote one Maria Kondo. Will this really, not a bring you joy, as she says, but is this really something that you need in order to be truly happy? And if the answer is even something you need to hesitate about, probably you don't need it. Well, I just bought a brush to clean my wok the other day, and I'm not truly happy. Oh, everyone needs a wok right. brush. Well, it doesn't make me truly happy, but it is something that is essential. And, and particularly, I mean, I do like to cook a lot. So I cook things and I find, well, this would really be useful to have this. It's easy to go overboard with cooking implements, and I don't do that. But when I find the ones I need, uh, they do make life easier. I, I don't like, does it give you joy? I don't remember exactly her term terminology. Just this week, I was in the kitchen, and uh, I was going through the drawer, and I found a thing. I don't know what the thing is. So I turned to my wife. I said, <laughs> what is this thing? It's a kind of thing that you hold. It's got a shape. And, you, and she said, I don't know what that thing is. <laughs> Where did we get this thing? I don't know, but it's there in our drawer. All I did was toss it back in the drawer because I don't know what else to do with it. So next time I need that thing, I guess I got it, but I don't know what it if is. If you remember that it's there, because if you don't, then you're going to go out and buy the same thing someplace. And then when you put it back in the drawer- I'm going to have two exactly, things. Exactly. You'll have double things. <laughs> um, but that that's an interesting point about doubles, because when my partner and I met about eight years ago, we moved in together and we we each had stuff, right? So- if two people are living lives mm -hmm. and they they sort of merge their stuff, then you get twice as much stuff and you have to sort a lot of it out. And that's a, a complicated process. Neither person wants to get rid of their really favorite stuff. Especially, I know, unfortunately, couples who get a divorce who go in the other direction and then everybody wants the stuff, <laughs> which is not good either. Don't... As long as we're riffing on stuff, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the great George Carlin routine about stuff. Very appropriate for this. Yes, but we, we've we agreed that the title of the show is Minimalism, so we don't need to include the word stuff. It's just No, but it's minimal. even more minimal than that, because I've decided to call it Minimalism without vowels to be as minimal as possible. How about just Min? Well, that could be Minerals or Minimum or Minute. Yes. You yeah. kind of need That would be thing. too minimalist. Yes. Yes, exactly. Can I tell you a story about a Tokyo apartment that about sums up life? 
for me when I was living there? Sure. I think Tokyo apartment stories are probably exactly our groove here today. Okay. Well, we were living in that, that place that I said was the equivalent of two American bathrooms. That was our whole house. And I was a newlywed with my wife. I was once young and we were living there. And my mother, who was about 70, decided to come visit us. She was more than welcome to stay with us for about three months. And we had to put a bed in the apartment that she was kind of in one room, one bathroom. And we we're in the bathroom next door, separated. This is a Japanese house by a paper sliding door. Japanese houses truly are just an open space with a paper sliding door. So my mom, being a sophisticated woman in the world, she, one night she said to us, she said, now, kids, I was young and married once. Don't worry about me, even though I'm just on the other side of this paper sliding door. I'm going to take out my hearing aid and turn up the TV real loud. I won't hear a thing. Let's just say it kills the mood, okay? It does. It, yeah. it does. To know your mom's on the other side of the paper wall. Yeah, this is why the population in Japan is declining, I think, because of this. Good point. Mm. I hadn't thought about that. So briefly, I just want to talk about an interesting minimal idea. As much as we have a lot of stuff, I think it would be a really good thing for people who can to have one room that's minimal or empty or yes. even... If you if you've got a half a room, like my desk is in a corner of my office, I'm facing the corner. If you've got a space that you can make, that you can look at that empty space, you know, we sit facing a wall when we do zazen. But if you can have some sort of minimal space like that, it's a good place yes. to go either to sit zazen or to sit and read or just to relax and, and to remove all those stimuli, those visual stimuli around you. My father-in-law, uh, who's no longer with us, uh, decided, uh, this being Japan and he being Japanese and having a little time when he retired, that he wanted to study the tea ceremony and to build such a room. So he called a contractor and they did intricate, you know, to build a simple tea house that looks rustic and simple. There's a lot of work that goes into that, especially to bring it up to code. <laughs> yeah. So he built this beautiful minimalist room to do the tea ceremony, to learn the tea ceremony. I think after uh, two or three times doing the tea ceremony, he decided he didn't like the tea ceremony. So when you go over to the house now, it's used as a closet. It's filled with stuff. Because even Japanese people don't know where to put their stuff. So uh, spaces at a premium, even uh, uh, the tea house is now just a big closet. Uh, I hope, I hope he's, he's not looking down from wherever he is and will, will be angry at me, but uh, it's true. I think that's a lovely metaphor. Even the tea house is now just a closet. Yes, yes. Where do we go from here, Roshi? I'm going to clean the closet. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.